And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight is a special program. It's going to feature Jeff Berwick, the person who... uh, I've actually mentioned a number of times on the Outer Limits before, and he's here. Get a chance to ask him uh, some deep questions. And I think about Jeff, and I think about Ron Paul, and, and Doug Casey, and Del Bigtree, and some of these other amazing individuals we've had on the show, like Martin Armstrong. I mean, it, it's such a blessing. It is such a blessing and a, and a surreal honor to be able to not only meet these people, but to ask them introspective questions and to bring them to your attention. Um, if I haven't said it lately, I just want to say it again, that um, I think we have the most amazing audience. Uh, the listeners of this show, I mean, people respond. You you interact, you send me emails, you give guest suggestions. You're so involved. And I just want to say thank you. And uh, It is truly a uh, profound blessing to be walking on this path with you and evolving. And uh, it's great. So uh Thank you, and uh, let's begin. It is a profound honor to welcome to our show Jeff Berwick. He's known as the Dollar Vigilante, and he has this phenomenal uh, podcast, podcast to listen to on a consistent basis. And he's also the founder of uh, Anarcho Poco, which is a phenomenal event that people come together every year and they get together. They learn a lot of ideas about what life would be like in a stateless society. But the phenomenal speakers, he recently featured Dr. Ron Paul there. But uh, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. So uh, I want to, st- I, the questions I tend to ask them to be a little bit longer. So um, Jeff, throughout human history, all the civilization groups that have existed, the ones that have been successful seem to have coalesced around a idea or they've been really strong because they've been organized behind religion or they've been organized behind a certain political background. That's kind of given them a little bit more of a, 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 like, I don't know, a cheese on a pizza to kind of strengthen them. Uh, from your perspective, while the world is kind of going into a stateless uh, realm where people are go- no longer going to be looking at the state to guide them, but yet they still haven't completely adapted to the idea of statelessness, how can people 
that are um, that believe in a life without a state, how can they adapt to various groups and be successful there while the world is historically catching up to this uh, unprecedented movement where we move towards a stateless society and stateless world? Well, yeah, that's a complicated question, but um, I don't know how quickly we are moving towards a stateless world, uh, but uh, that would be a lot better. Obviously, the state is basically mankind's biggest enemy. The, the whole it's basically mind control. Uh, the government uh, is a uh, Latin or Greek word. Uh, I think it's Latin uh, that uh, govern uh, govern comes from gubernare, which is control mm. and ment in here in Mexico, mente mind. It's just mind control, and that's really what it is. And you know, I, I really don't know. I don't understand enough about history because I don't think we know anything about history. I think everything's been lied about about mm-hmm. history. Um, you know, a lot of people will say things like, oh, a thousand years ago, we we're just living in the mud and barely surviving. It's like, I don't know if that's true. Um, I agree. But, yeah, like everything was definitely organic, clean water, clean air. Uh, I don't know what the problem would be if people couldn't figure out how to get, you know, hunt for some deer or, or get some berries or something. I don't think that's true. Uh, uh, it might have been true in some places. Uh, it could have been true. Definitely if you're living in a place where you can't grow anything. But uh, so, yeah, when you're talking about how people in the past have or even now uh, really seem to have a need for some sort of a a grounding in something with uh, all the people around them. And that's really where a lot of religion and a lot of uh, statism has come from is is sort of a tribal sort of a thing that people seem to have. Um, And that seems to be true from what I can tell. And you can definitely see how tribal people act all the time. And they, they, they glom onto anything very tribal very quickly. Everyone Almost everyone stands for their national sing-along and's got their flags, mm-hmm. and you know we're part of something, right? And I think that's something that definitely seems to be a part of a, a need for humans is to feel a part of something. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the things that they end up feeling a part of uh, a lot of the time are absolutely horrible, like uh, <laughs> the state. But even now, when you look at people, they 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 seem to be realizing the government isn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, and it's not a good thing in their lives necessarily. Uh, now they, they conflate nationalism with the government and it gets a little convoluted in their minds. Um, you know, I really don't know the answer to what people uh, need exactly. Uh, but I'd like to see a world where uh, people weren't uh, used, uh, enslaved, uh, using violence and, and theft <laughs> to, uh, to, 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 you know, almost everywhere in the world. That's, that's how in general it is, uh, it, through government, uh, saying, you, you know, you're born here. So everything you make, you got to pay us. It's a big, big mafia, basically. Yeah, uh, I think it will go a lot better. And the, the reason that, um, uh, anarcho capitalism and, and the ideas of it uh, really excited me like 20 years ago is, there's actually a book called The Market for Liberty. It's the size of a pamphlet. It, you can mm-hmm. read it in a couple hours, but it's, it, it's uh, two people's idea ideas in the 1970s of what the world would be like if there was no government and if it, everything was basically, for all intents and purposes, privatized. And reading through that book, my, my, I was just like blown away, just dreaming of a world like that where, for example, uh, you know, uh, things like fire departments, mm-hmm. um, uh, a lot of them are run in most places, not necessarily here in Mexico. That's actually why I'm here in Mexico. There's a lot of stuff isn't done by the government in Mexico. 
a lot of things are privatized, and that's why it's a lot better and cheaper and freer in Mexico than most places in the world, especially in the U.S. But uh, with fire departments, uh, a lot of the times it's, it's it's the government. And you know, I have to say, first of all, of all the things that governments uh, do, uh, the fire department one is probably one of my uh, least unfavorite. Or I don't know how to <laughs> basically. I don't have a problem with it all that much, <laughs> except for the extortion part of it. Yeah. It's actually a decent service. It's one decent service that the government provides. But it could be provided far better if it was privatized. And so if you had no government in charge of it, you'd have numerous companies competing for it. And you'd also have insurance companies who'd have a great interest in making sure there wasn't a lot of fires. So a lot of things would actually be prevented. A lot of things, the problems we see in the world today is actually caused by government. So how do we get there? I don't know. I do know that we're pretty close to the whole statism or governments across the world collapsing right now. They're all bankrupt, uh, some more than others. But uh, they're, they're, in general, all completely bankrupt. They're all going to uh, have their currencies collapse in the next few years, in my opinion. Uh, and that's going to be an incredibly interesting time to see what happens uh, when that happens. Of course, on the sort of the bad guy side, the guys who want to have a one world government, which is the exact opposite of what I'd like to see. I'd like to see seven billion governments on Earth and, and everyone is their own uh, government and they control and, and only themselves and they don't enslave other people. Uh, but they the the they want to see it go to one world government and one world uh, currency. And now they're talking about a digital central bank, digital currency and all that, which uh, for many reasons may not succeed. Uh, you can't just force a currency on people, although in some ways you kind of can because they have it so tyrannical now that you can almost force things on people and people almost don't even see why it's bad. Uh, they'll see why it's bad after a while when they start to find out they can't use their money how they want to. Uh, they, they, if they don't spend it in a certain amount of time, that, that uh, it, it becomes worthless. And so then there'll be no savings. Without savings, there'll be no capital. And basically, we'll turn into Venezuela worldwide very quickly. But I think there's so many um, great things that have happened in the last uh, 50 years, even. The internet, for example, we have mm -hmm. the opportunity now. Like, uh, if, if we didn't have the internet for the last, what is it, 40 years now, uh, I wouldn't know one one thousandth of what I know right now. Uh, it, it was very hard to get a lot of the information and get access to certain people because they're so banned. Like, for example, me, I'm banned on YouTube. I'm banned on yeah. Facebook. Uh, and so your average person can't necessarily get it. But you can if you, if you look because of the Internet. But then the second biggest thing that happened, in my opinion, is Bitcoin, the uh, cryptocurrencies, because it gives... Uh, people the opportunity to use a currency that's not a government or central bank currency outside of their control. And most of their control comes from those currencies. So yeah, in the next few years, it's going to be incredibly interesting. I think it'll be less people kind of like catching on that uh, the government is a, a negative in their lives. Uh, more it'll become that the government's be collapsing so much that people have to find something else and the free markets uh, has almost everything there right now, including things like Monero and Bitcoin uh, for people to transact uh, and uh, do so in ways without without the state. So uh, it's it's definitely an interesting time to be alive. I think I chose to be in this video game at this particular <laughs> time for this reason, because uh, this is incredibly interesting. Well, I would love to come. Thank you. I love your answer. I want to come back to you about the video game, because I think we, we share some things in common. We have a difference of opinion about the video game. But coming back to the collapse of governments, first off, you wrote a wonderful book with Charlie Robinson about the collapse of the U.S. empire, and I gave it to a lot of family and friends for Christmas presents. So like, oh, my God, did you get me my favorite shirt? Oh, is this the video game? 
and like oh oh and I'm like no it's it's a it's a book that you read to to kids at bedtime and I try to to wake a lot of people up and a lot of things that you were saying were true but um when it comes to the collapse of the U.S. dollar this is something that uh, my dear friend and uh, teacher Stuart Wild just talked about he was talking about 2009 then of course uh, your dear friend Peter Schiff was talking about it and then uh, Jim Rogers is talking about the collapse and you have all these different people are talking about the collapse that the U.S. dollar is going to go through hyperinflation and we're going to see this complete currency collapse. But then there's an individual who I've had the pleasure of speaking with, uh, re- renowned economic forecaster, Martin Armstrong, and he has a different take on it. He says that, okay, you're going to see all these different things that are happening. You're going to see this push for the Great Reset. He goes, human nature dictates that it's not going to succeed. They're going to try to push for it. They're going to fail. But he said that they won't be able to pull this thing off. And he says that of all the empires, of all the things that will collapse last, it'll be the U.S. dollar. And he doesn't necessarily, I don't know if he's completely convinced it's going to be hyperinflation, but he does say things are going to get pretty bad. From your perspective, are there any of those individuals that I've, I mentioned that you agree with part of what they're saying? Or are you completely convinced that the U.S. is going to head to a hyperinflationary depression where the uh, dollar goes completely to zero? And if so, why are you completely uh, convinced by it? What are the two main factors that are driving that uh, decision? Oh, well, you just have to look at the numbers. Uh, fiat currencies collapse all the time. Uh, the, the, the whole idea of them, the whole concept, especially with fractional reserve banking, uh, is it's a debt-based system. And it eventually gets to a point where everyone's in debt. And that's what we're seeing right now massively. Mm-hmm. You're seeing uh, the U.S. government, you can't even keep up. They, I think it just went up a trillion dollars in the last week since they uh, got rid of the debt ceiling. Uh, it's now $32 trillion. Um, uh, you look at most people, they're, they're heavily in debt. Every, almost everyone's got a mortgage, which is French for death contracts. So uh, they're paying off their house for like 40, 50 years. Uh, it's, it's a debt-based system. And it, at, at a, a certain point, it just collapses. Uh, and uh, you're, you're seeing now with, especially with the U.S. government going to massive amounts of debt, like I just mentioned, it's 32 trillion now. So if interest rates were only 10%, which isn't that high historically, uh, historically, six to eight percent is pretty sort of average for hundreds of years. Interest rates are sort of in that level. Uh, it can it went to eighteen percent in the nineteen eighties. But if it just just because I went to a government indoctrination camp, I'm not very good at math. So let's just say thirty two trillion at ten percent. So that's three trillion dollars a year. That's a massive amount of the budget of the U.S. government. It basically it's bigger than everything else they spend uh, money on. I think the the Department of Offense, I think, is around a trillion dollars a year or something like that, although it might be more that with the money laundering they're doing with Zelensky right now. Um, crazy. But the, if you just look at the numbers, it, it, basically, if you look at all past uh, colla- uh, hyperinflations, uh, Venezuela, Weimar, Argentina, every 20 years, uh, Zimbabwe, uh, all the charts start to look like this. And the U.S. chart is starting to look just like those charts. It's, it's starting to get to a point where it's, it's basically out of control. Uh, and you're just seeing so much uh, of the, the capital being used just to pay basically the central banksters and and uh, and other people like that uh, to just to keep the system alive. And so there, there's really not many ways out of it. And it's actually good. The U.S. dollar system is a horrible system. Uh, the central banking system is absolutely atrocious. It's behind the central banking's behind every major war we've had for hundreds of years. Uh, they've actually pretty much. Uh, made them happen. Uh, but you can't even have those wars and things like that. You can't have the governments we have today without central banks. And it's also basically, a, a, it's you're, they're used via force through things like uh, legal tender laws. So you have to accept them. 
So you have a very immoral currency based on nothing. There's nothing backing the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. There used to be in the 19, uh, early 1900s. Uh, and then they took away the gold backing completely away from the dollar in 1971. Uh, and it's basically just been, you just look at the amount of debt since then. So if you just look at the numbers and if you understand how things work and how things have worked in the past, uh, all these currencies are headed towards collapse just in the next few years, uh, maybe maybe two years, maybe five years. Could be 10, uh, but we're, it's basically already in collapse. Uh, if you really look at it, you look at the amount that people are spending um, for even things like, well, college, which is a complete waste of time. But mm-hmm. if you look at the numbers, it's up like 10, like thousands of percent in the last 20 years. Uh, look at the healthcare, which is barely even healthcare. I don't even call it healthcare, it's medical care. Um, they always tell the doctors in white budget, call them the doctor, the men in white butcher coats. Yeah, basically. Um, and uh, like the, the 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 amounts are just massive, and people are starting to see now groceries, uh, uh, gasoline, all these sort of things are are going up a lot. And this is just the very beginning. So, yeah, it's all it's a, there's no way to actually stop it at this point. Um, so, it's just a matter of how it plays out from here. And uh, in general, I think uh, we're going to see incredible things happen over the next few years, and we're going to see various parts of the world do very different things. Uh, and we might even see a sort of a flip. Uh, which happens a lot throughout history, uh, where the place that used to be kind of free becomes very tyrannical, and the place that used to be really tyrannical becomes quite a bit freer. And it's because these tyrannical places eventually implode, then they become free, then they become incredibly wealthy, but then over time, it gets more and more tyrannical, uh, and then it eventually collapses again. And so we could see the West in general, which was more free and more prosperous over, say, the last 100 years, uh, become much more tyrannical, and we are. We absolutely are, if you're paying That's attention. Crazy. And we can say places like China, which used to be communist, it's not anymore. It hasn't been for decades. That's why they've uh, gotten so much more wealth. It's basically fascist, just like the U.S., just like every country on Earth, basically. Uh, the Soviet Union, now Russia, doing incredibly well with commodities and all that. And that's why they're trying to attack them right now. Uh, they used to be terrible when they were the, the USSR. Now they have, a, I think, a 9% tax rate, which is way better than the U.S., uh, and of course, the best tax rate zero, but uh, it's a lot freer uh, and and, and uh, a lot better economy and all that kind of uh, thing. So we, uh, now we're seeing the BRICS and, and now the BRICS is talking about doing a currency that's backed by gold. Now that can get very interesting uh, and that could be a total shift. And we could see basically the West become basically very poor and very, almost like Venezuela and very tyrannical and, and places like Russia, China. Uh, other places like that uh, become a lot more prosperous and free. You know, I appreciate that answer. And I've seen that, that they could be theoretically could implement that. And then um, sometimes when things get really dark and you're seeing all these things happen, I, I watch Larkin Rose's videos. And I, I always tell Larkin, I say, you're like the Dr. Phil of freedom, freedom, because sometimes you listen to one of his videos and he seems to, I don't know, he seems to have such a positive outlook. And he did this one video Jeff, we were just recently talking about saying, well, okay, well, what, what happens if you have a collapse of all these uh, entities in the U.S.? What would happen? He said, well, it would mean that you would probably never have another entity that would take its place because you never have the American people that would adhere to an authority beside the government. And he said that even if this whole thing collapsed and you have the currency collapses, we already have the infrastructure in place that people can already make things. So in light of what has happened in the world, if you look at Venezuela – and you look at America, and you see that you have an American population that can still farm, that still uh, can arm themselves. And you have various parts of the world, like you always talk about Mexico, that the people there are very independent, that they're very able to, you know, to take care of themselves. 
what places do you think would fare best in a dollar uh, collapse situation? Do you think that all the U.S. is going to be a complete uh, disaster, or are you hopeful about certain places? Uh, it's really hard to tell. I would say that if I had to live in the U.S., I would probably live in Florida, Texas, South Dakota, Montana, something like that. Uh, and definitely not in a major population center, because when the dollar really starts to collapse, uh, mm-hmm. so many people are indebted and inured to the system so much that uh, it's going to be really bad in major cities. We're already seeing it's getting bad in like San Francisco, and it's just <laughs> like third world now. Uh, just imagine when the econ- econ- economy implodes and the financial system and the monetary system collapses, uh, what some of those places will look like. It'll look like Mad Max, uh, Los Angeles, places like that, New York. Um but, you know, like, I think there's going to be pockets all over the place. Uh, the good thing is if this all starts to collapse, that means there's going to be opportunities all over the place for people to at least try doing different things. And some people will really want, like, in, I'm sure in California, a lot of people want even more government uh, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it'll get even worse and worse. Uh, but there'll be some places where people just say, we don't want any of this. We're going to rebuild just, you know, from scratch here, uh, everything privatized. Uh, and they could do incredibly well. Uh, the, the real risk, I think, is if they get this one world governmental system in place, which they're rushing as fast as they can to do, mm-hmm. and they get everyone with digital IDs and get everyone on digital uh, CBDC currencies, uh, it'll be very, very hard for, for most people to escape from that, especially with all the uh, surveillance and artificial intelligence. It's very, very 1984, actually worse than 1984. It's pretty wild, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's it's it could get far worse. And now with artificial intelligence and who knows how much of that is controlling a lot of this stuff. And, you know, it could turn into the Terminator in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, for me personally, I'm, I'm here in Mexico. So it's a lot freer. The government really doesn't have much control. Uh, and that's why a lot of people think it's dangerous. It's like, oh, you know, drug cartels and all this sort of stuff. It's like I'd take the cartels over government any day. Uh, but uh, of course, um, There's really not much uh, governmental control or anything in Mexico. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Every every place is going to be different. For me personally, I'm building a ranch in the mountains and I'm going to be totally self-sustainable because I think, you know, for a period of time, at least, it's going to be very uncomfortable for most people. Uh, Supply chains will shut down. The whole world is so uh, addicted to international supply chains now. Like if if, if you're in the U.S. and you go to a grocery store, just look where most of that stuff comes from. It comes from every other place on earth. If those supply chains shut down, which is very easy, we've actually seen that happen numerous times uh, just for a few days. Like for example, in the 2008 financial crisis, uh, all the shipping stopped for a few days because no one knew which bank, because uh, everyone uses bank credit letters when they uh, send the ships. And uh, because no one knew which bank was solvent, uh, all the ships stopped. And we, it was within a couple of days of there being nothing in grocery stores in a lot of places so I'm basically just uh, preparing to be more self-sustainable, uh, prepared for anything, uh, and uh, away from a lot of people. I think that's that's a, a real important one, um, and uh, and really just uh, trying to enjoy the apocalypse as much as possible. Because uh, you know th- this is just as much an exciting time as it is a scary time. In fact, I don't consider any of this scary whatsoever. I consider it 100% exciting and awesome. And uh, and it's not like I'm a I don't know what the words are like nihilist or something, or I want to see destruction or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's like, no, this whole system was horrible. Uh, it had to collapse. It's going to collapse. 
Uh, and uh, there's going to be opportunities to have better things set up after after that happens. So uh, I'm excited for it, um, uh, looking forward to it, and and you know basically just enjoying it. That's awesome. That's a real see that that's that's positive energy, and I'm glad that uh, you're sending out that message. And I just wanted to point out, Jeff, um, I because of you, because of your podcast, and I get introduced to James Fried, and we had him on our show, and he got me so fired up about uh, growing food, and I, I'm really into it right now. I know a lot of people are into it, and you've had so many interesting people that have come on. Um, your, your events and your, your and just want to bring to everyone's attention that uh, Jeff does a series of webinars that they're all about personal development that are all about sustainability. So I appreciate all this wonderful content that you're putting out. And one thing I, I want to bring to everyone's attention is that beginning of the show, I, I praise you because you really do emphasize uh, the soul clearing work, working on yourself, confronting your shadow. And that is, I, I can't emphasize enough how wonderful that is that you champion that because a lot of people are afraid to do it. it it's it, it's scary to, to look inside yourself and to really work on that. Um, I don't know about you, but I got on this path of becoming a seeker to work on myself because of uh, I was experiencing a tremendous amount of pain. And I felt that the only way to, to survive was to confront that pain and transcend that pain and to go explore it. I'm curious from your perspective, what has put you on that path? What is the driving force behind you healing yourself and wanting to heal others? Have you experienced a pain or are you motivated to just see the world in a more beautiful place? Uh, I think um, <laughs> it's so it, looking back, it's hard to tell exactly what happened. But um, I think I, I, I got to a point where I hadn't dealt with I hadn't looked at myself and I hadn't done any work on myself. And I was in my 40s mm. uh, and I was, I was drinking a lot because, you know, my mind's a bit of a mess and I've got all this bad programming in my head and because I hadn't worked on myself uh, and it began to get like depressed and uh, all those sort of things. Um, and it got really to the point where I, I really realized and I had uh, a family of uh, uh, two kids uh, and lots of dogs and Lucy. The, yeah, Lucy. She's, yeah, Lucy's over here. She's She'll come awesome. by later. And uh, and it, you know, basically, I just had I came to a point. It's like, well, I either uh, have to like do some serious, serious, serious work on myself uh, or I'm basically going to die. Uh, that's ba- it's basically like the only two options in my opinion and i looked at my beautiful family my beautiful dogs and lucy and i was like okay uh i guess i gotta do this and you know that was like probably about eight years ago now it's amazing how time flies but uh, i think it's oh it started with uh psychedelics uh so that's what kind of cracked me out of my uh being locked in my head in my mind uh, was ayahuasca and then a boga, and a boga is crazy. But I've never done a, I've done ayahuasca. I can't imagine what a boga is like. I heard it's what's it? Is it thirty six hours? Yeah, and uh, you know, I was there with a psychonaut, and he does them for fun. And um, you know, my boga experience was so brutal; it was like torture. And it, it you know, it was like basically two full days, but it felt like twenty years, uh, and it felt like uh, like I was going like. I couldn't handle it anymore. It was that like torturous. But then right beside me was a guy and I, I, you know, we both got out around the same time. He looks over, he goes, how'd it go? And I just looked at him like, I'm never doing that again. But it turned out it actually cracked me out of my depression for a few months. And then I could get uh, into a lot bit more work on myself. So it actually was really good, but it was torturous, but he had a great time. And I guess because he had already worked out, he'd probably already done all this self-work. 
uh, and become uh, accustomed to being out of his mind uh, into that other space, wherever that is in your head. I don't even know. Mm. Uh, But there is a whole other world and dimensions you can go into. Uh, But um, uh, so I did that and that helped those things helped me enough to get off drinking a lot for a period of time uh, where I began meditating. Uh, And uh, I'm not even sure when I started meditating, but I think it was like six years ago or so. And it was brutally hard, like almost every day. I'd do it for like an hour or two a day. It's um, amazing. That is amazing. You said that sometimes you said you've done it to two or three hours a day. I, I, I That's incredible. Yeah, I, I actually do it four hours a day now. I just, I, wow. I just Today I did it four hours. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and I'll probably do another hour before I go to sleep tonight. Um, wow. But but yeah, when I first start, oh, and that's the difference too. Like I wouldn't be doing it this long if it was as hard as it used to be, but over years and years, I had to face so many different things, uh, face myself, face fear, face uh, traumas. Um, and what was it the was hardest one? Pretty... What was the hardest one you had? To, what was the hardest trauma you had to, you had to face? A, hard, a hardest thing you had to uh, work on? Uh... <laughs> you don't have to say it if you don't. Oh, no, I can't even think uh, of like I've, hundreds of different things have ha- happened. Um I would say the two sort of things that uh, were incredibly difficult. Uh, the first was why, why I probably had a horrible experience, even though it helped me a lot, uh, but it was torturous on a boga was I wouldn't, I wouldn't accept uh, being outside of my mind. I, I would fight it. Uh, so that's what all the problems were for, for a couple of years, actually, mm-hmm. even the meditation. I'd be trying to fight <laughs> going deep into myself. And because of that, it made it kind of torturous. Uh, but because something kind of, I don't know, maybe it was the psychedelics. I don't know what it was, but something just kept driving me every day when I woke up to go down or wherever my place was that I had to meditate and meditate for like a couple hours, uh, no matter how hard it was, because it was hard a lot in the beginning. For years, it was very hard. Uh, so that was uh, probably the biggest thing. Uh, one of the biggest things at the beginning was accepting uh, not having control from this ego mind uh, and, and letting go to uh, being outside of the mind. I don't even know how to describe it. I'm actually not like I've, I've done all these things for like years and years, but I don't really know anyone who does them. I don't talk to, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't know, but uh, it works for me incredibly well. And now I can actually meditate. Like I I meditated probably four hours today and it felt amazing. Um, The other kind of, traumas that uh well one thing I, I that i really realized that i just didn't know i remember i had do you know who stefan molyneux is yes yeah yeah so i had dinner with him at like a doug casey event uh like 10 years ago and uh, he's an interesting character and we went for dinner and the first thing he asked me is like how was your childhood and uh i had not done any work no meditation nothing i hadn't really looked at myself or anything and i just instantly responded fine Right. And then after about two hours of talking, he's like, don't you see now how bad your childhood was? I was like, oh, man, I I never even thought about it. Right. Uh, And uh, in the meditation over years, um, yeah, all these sort of just sitting in the in the government indoctrination camps. I I remember looking at that clock and every second that would tick felt like 
eternity uh, for me to get out of there and hopefully not get beat up on my way home is basically like I was just getting beat up and and put in prison all day every day uh, and and a lot of people go oh well I went to government school and I'm fine it's like no you're not you're not no. fine <laughs> no, no one's fine I don't know anyone who's gone to those things who's fine unless you've done years and years of work afterwards uh, so yeah it was basically not being uh fighting uh uh Fighting, accepting, being outside of my logical mind uh, was one of the big ones. And then just uh, all the traumas, you, you just realize over over years, all kinds of things. And it's not like I, I focus on them in the meditation or anything, but they do come up. Uh, and then you look at them and it's like, whoa, yeah, I forgot about that. And and then you get that feeling that you felt when you were a little kid when that happened. And you, you have to learn how to work through that feeling and actually feel it. Uh, because what a lot of people will do when they feel those things is just turn off. It's uh, yeah. it's it's what a lot of people call triggering. Uh, it's like, oh, I got triggered. And then I was just, you know, I, <laughs> I couldn't control anything. It's like, yeah, that's basically you felt some sort of trauma uh, and uh, you're unwilling to look at it. So you, you basically run away from it. And so basically that's what I've been doing for years and years is just learning how not to run away from those things, how to face them, and then how to actually heal them in the end. And that's sort of where I'm at now is a lot of the healing stuff. And then you, once you start healing uh, and then you start to reprogram your mind as well, uh, you just basically, because you've got all these programs in your head that you, that most people are completely unaware of. Mm-hmm. But as you do this sort of work, you start to notice them and you go, who, wh- who in my head just said, I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like I, did I just call myself an idiot? Your average person won't even see that. But what that was, was when you're five, someone said you're an idiot and it's stuck in your head and you've been repeating it over and over again until it becomes like a self-fulfilling re- uh, a reality. Uh, and so as you start to see all those programs, you can begin to take them out. And then the great thing is you can start to put in new programs, which are like way better. Uh, and you become, become almost like superhuman basically at some point. And, and I think that's how we're all supposed to be. And this is all stuff. Like how many people talk about this, right? Uh, you know, your average person, what do you do when you have a kid? Well, you put them in the government indoctrination mm-hmm. camp, you put them in prison. It's like, okay. And then what? Well, then you sit them down in front of propaganda, mind control, television programming and inject them with all kinds of poison. It's like, Okay, I've got a better idea. How about we don't traumatize him to start with? But if we do, how about we actually work on those traumas so he doesn't grow into an adult and he's, got, he's all screwed up, just like pretty much everyone on earth today. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I just keep doing it. But uh, it's, wonderful. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful. You know, you've made, I think, a lot of people comfortable with this. And um, before I respond to um, just what you just said, I want to just point out that when you were talking about how you had stopped drinking, I want to say that I was doing it and about four or five of the people that were listening to your show were all stopping around the same time. I think that you, I think that your energy actually was kind of encouraging and this subconsciously people were picking up on it because I, I actually find that um, life without alcohol is wonderful. I, I don't really drink it. I, I hardly touch it. And i noticed a lot more clarity on it. Another thing is, um, a very dear friend of mine, Nancy Dannison, she's had this profound near-death experience. We'll call it an after-death experience. I've talked to several people who've had after-death experiences, and they say that, you know, you're a spirit and a body. We're all part of the same conscious being. But Nancy is always saying that one of the best things you can do is to get the human out of the way and be and become one with your spirit by meditating. So the fact that you're talking about that is it's wonderful. And then um, with those childhood traumas, Jeff, I don't know if you've done this, but I've done this. And I'm just saying that I've had a positive experiences. I've tried to make peace with people from my childhood 
And I find that I get way more out of that than I do making peace with people in my adulthood, because I think that in the childhood experience, it shapes your subconscious. Was there any particular um, act of forgiveness or reconciliation of a conflict from your childhood or um, your adulthood that had the most profound impact on your evolution and well-being? You know, it's kind of funny. I've, uh, I'm not sure about like forgiveness all that much because um, like I don't hold a grudge against anyone for anything, for anything that's ever happened to me ever. Uh, mm-hmm. I never have. I've always just awesome. uh, accepted it. Uh, and and figured it must be a learning experience uh, for whatever reason. Uh, so it's not like any trauma I've ever had from anything I've ever held against anyone. So when I hear about a lot of people finding like forgiveness really helps them, uh, I still haven't really reached a point where I even understand what that is because I don't really blame them. Uh, um, I, but maybe I do. So, you know, you can work through your head for like mm-hmm. years trying to figure out what's really going on in there. Uh, but uh, yeah, so forgiveness hasn't been a big thing for me. I know it is for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people do hold grudge, like, I don't know if grudge is the right word, but hold that. Um, and I think what it is, is you're holding, like, for example, I'll just give one example. Um, like a pretty traumatic thing for me was when I got defrauded on a major real estate deal and it basically collapsed everything I was doing. I was basically bankrupted. Uh, this just happened like 10 years ago. Uh, and in front of the whole world, I looked like a fool, like an idiot, because I had fallen for this uh, guy who ripped everyone off. Uh, that was brutally, brutally hard for me. Um, it actually turned out to be one of the best things that could have happened to me because I had to completely face myself. That's basically, I think, what pushed me into all this. Um but the person who did it, I've never, like a lot of people are like, we got to kill him or go get him. And I'm like, well, it was our fault. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we're like, we we should have seen it. We should have known. Um, and if we didn't, we have to get better and improve ourselves. So that's how I, I thought. So yeah, forgiveness isn't something I've really gotten to yet. Uh, and maybe I, I still have to get there, but it hasn't been a big part of uh, a lot of my sort of healing stuff I've done so far. Okay. Well, um, I can tell because I've been listening to your show for a long time. It's like the energy. I mean, I, I don't know. I could um, let's say I could feel people's energy. Not, I'm not saying I'm an empath by any means, but when I'm listening to you, I can tell or you, you, your shows have gotten progressively more different. Like I'd say that uh, when I started listening to you back in 2020, I, um, I know you're, I know you're pissed off and I felt like other people were pissed off, but it, it's like, you like your evolution and your progress in healing yourself. I think that's something that people have um, have enjoyed a lot, and it's been wonderful to to see because now your shows are like you're, you're they're very uplifting, and you have a I had to say you have a fun twisted sense of humor. I love it. I really love the fact that you you take some of the darkest aspects of our world and you, you put a humorous twist on it. And I feel like when you do that, it kind of disempowers it. Um, are there any particular practices that you currently do right now? Are there ways that um, say like three ways that you've dramatically changed in the past five years uh, that you'd say that were quite significant compared to where you used to be? Uh, Man, that's, you know, I haven't really even thought about how I've changed all that much. I've kind of been just living in flow in the Mm -hmm. now for, for years, basically. And you can even tell in the videos, like Mm -hmm. I, I turn that camera on and basically I walk around for almost like an hour and a half and I turn it off and I'm like, Whoa, that was an hour and a half. It felt like 15 minutes or something. I'm basically just in flow state. Um, so I, I, (laughs) 
it's kind of hard to look back on uh, like how I've changed. Uh, I, I've definitely changed though. I can definitely tell I've changed. Um, I think a big, well, just working on myself has, man, well, <laughs> I know the results. The results are my family is better than it's ever been. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, I've basically, because of all the changes I've made, it's healed everyone else in my family massively because we all have our own traumas. Uh, and, uh, they do all this kind of work. My wife, uh, you know, if, if you would have told her five years ago, she'd be doing yoga for like an hour and a half every morning and, and all this kind of stuff, she would have laughed And the same way. If you told me 10 years ago, I'd be meditating four hours a day. I would have said, you got the wrong person here because I, that's not what I do, but, um, I've seen the results of the changes. I, I can't, I don't know if I can even really quantify what the changes are though. Um, well, the behavioral aspects of different ways of looking at life, um, you know, are you, is it a, a change? Are you more compassionate towards others? Or do you have, uh, are you more hopeful about the future compared to what you once were? Um, do you have more patience uh, on certain things? Are you more willing to accept other people's opinions that maybe you would quite summarily disdain before or dismiss? Are you more open to receiving information from all different aspects? It's like things like that. Well, there's definitely one thing I can think of, and that is that I used to be pretty angry. Uh, it wasn't like an outward, like violent anger, but just down in my gut, angry about the way the world was uh, and wanting to change it, you know, governments and central banks and all that. And um, I think over time, I've, I've realized that because I, I was trying, I tried to change the world uh, for a long time and tried to change other people. Uh, and it didn't really work. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, I got more into the Zen sort of stuff and how the world is just a reflection of your own mind. Uh, and I don't know exactly how it works, but uh, now I basically, I'm not angry about anything. <laughs> uh, and uh, the, I found that the more I just change myself, the world seems to get better. No, the entire world, I don't know. I, I don't know hardly anything about what's going on in the rest of the world right now. Uh, but it seems like my world gets better uh, the more that I change myself. And and I started to kind of, I think, subconsciously realize that that's really all I can do. Uh, and it just turns out as a really nice side benefit that I go for walks with Lucy and I talk about this stuff and it helps other people to uh, get to those sort of um, uh, awakenings or, 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 or uh, figuring out these sort of things for themselves. And, and then maybe they go and they make their, their little world better. And then, you know, maybe this just continues to extrapolate, uh, you know, as, as more and more people uh, do the work on themselves, change themselves. Uh, you know, I think Gandhi even said, uh, be the change you want to see in the world. And I think after everything I've gone through so far, I think that is incredibly uh, perfect uh, because I tried to change the world, didn't really do anything. Uh, I changed myself and now at least my world seems to be changing uh, and maybe other people's worlds are changing. I don't know, uh, but that seems to be uh, the, the way to go. And yeah, I've also kind of come to realize that this world isn't as real as we think it is. Uh, like it's it's kind of just an experience and you know you read the buddhists and the zen sort of people and all that kind of stuff and you know they say it's just a dream and in many ways that's kind of how i see it now 
Uh, I kind of describe it as a 3D video game because in, in many ways, it's kind of like that. Uh, it's like the most advanced 3D video game ever created. Um, but I don't worry about uh, the future. Like, I, I really just don't. I, I just learned not to. I, I found that worrying, all it does is make you feel bad now about something that's probably never going to happen. So why even do that and just deal with things as they come? And that's what I've been doing. And so far, everything that's been coming has been great because I've, I've, I've changed my life and my environment around me dramatically. Um, and yeah, so I, I just... Uh, you know, I don't know, like you might be saying, well, Jeff, did you kind of like find God through all this? Is that what you kind of have found that mm-hmm. has changed everything? And it's like, I'm not sure if I found God, but everything I've done for the last five or 10 years, I don't worry about anything anymore. And I just know this, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Uh, and it's for a reason and enjoy it. And uh, you know, don't, you know, just don't worry about anything. It's basically, because if you really think about it, if you like, if you think about what is life, mm. like the one ideology that makes no sense to me whatsoever, it's completely and totally insane is atheism is basically that this is, there's no reason. And it's all an accident. It just, there was an explosion and now all this stuff is here and it's all incredibly beautifully encoded dna and all the the geometry and all all the beauty everything and how you know your body just runs and oh yeah we we came Mm -hmm. we were rats at some point but we turned into this and it just all runs and you don't have to it just runs there's a trillion things happening right now my body all just perfectly runs but it's all just a coincidence it's all just an accident like I've never, ever uh, understood that. Um, It's like, and if you really feel that way, you're incredibly disconnected from your heart, from your soul, from your spirit, whatever you want Mm -hmm. to call it. Uh, You're completely in your mind. uh, And I would say that's not a great place to be because I've kind of been there. Um, But as far as did I find God or have I had like all these amazing experiences that you could call like divine experiences? I can't say that I've had, but, you know, when I look at like Lucy or my baby, like. There's yeah. uh, what it crawled, your baby crawled at six months, six months old. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's. <laughs> Congratu- congratulations. And yeah, uh, thanks. Hey, Lucy. Yeah, really- Lucy. Lucy. Uh, uh, Lucy's awesome, by the way. And Jeff always goes for a walk with Lucy and Lucy. And then there's Lucky and they, I think they're always getting in trouble, but Lucy's the, this the star. I love Lucy. I love the fact that you, I love the fact that you're a dog person too, because I think that speaks a lot about a person when you're really passionate about dogs. And, um, you know, I think what you said about going, I appreciate what you said, you know, about working on yourself and what you brought up. Um, my dear, uh, like teacher Stuart Wilde, he used to talk about saying all life that you perceive outside of you is a reflection of who you are on the inside. So when you change yourself, you need to change things. And then I want to point out something to you that, my friend Nancy and a couple of other people I've spoken with that have had these profound near death experiences, Jeff, they say that, okay, your, your spirit in the body, human experience is this fake life. You're an animal, like all the other creatures out here. This is just a, an experience where you get to see life outside the oneness of the true being of source. So that's how they describe it. Then there's an individual I want to bring your attention named Dr. Stephen Greer. And Dr. Stephen Greer also had a near death experience. And I'm sure if you, if you don't know who he is, he is the uh, ad, biggest advocate of UFO disclosure. And he's talking about how that we, we've had uh, this technology for hundreds of years. We've been involved in craft and had this technology. And where I'm coming to with this is that I'm, I'm coming to this really strange place because I don't 
I don't know what reality really is. If we look at all these video games that you have, you have a set area that you can walk around and go into. And then you, a lot of areas are cut off. And I don't necessarily know what the true boundaries of Earth are. And I'm having a hard time kind of grasping that. So I'm curious from your perspective, do you th- uh, think that the world is the way it is, uh, the way they perceive it, that we're in this multi-big verse? Or do you think that it's something completely different um, just from your firsthand experience and your meditative states and what you've observed? Um, I don't believe anything from NASA, <laughs> like anything, uh, you know, when you fake the moon landings like 20 times. Right. Um, but and all their oil paintings, it, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, I've kind of uh, like I'm pretty open to flat earth type stuff. I'm also open to the uh, Vedic type stuff uh, that uh, there's way more land beyond uh, this, uh, this small part that we're in. Uh, Max Egan's really big into that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, even had people who said they've gone beyond Antarctica and there's, you know, the, one of the generals in the U.S. said there's there's lands bigger than the U.S. there and it's all green and all that. I think that's totally possible. I think we've been totally lied to about absolutely everything. Uh, still to this day, there's not one photo of the Earth from outer space. <laughs> like there's, there's, they say there are, there's a couple, mm. but they're all computer generated. And, you know, they said they took it from the moon when they were there, but they never went to the moon. Uh, so, you know. I don't believe anything, uh, but, you know, I stopped getting so worried, like not worried, but like I actually got pretty um, deep down the rabbit hole. I would spend like months looking into all this stuff, uh, just trying to figure out what's really going on. Uh, But I think I got to a point where I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter uh, like uh, what it is, uh, because it's all basically a dream or an illusion or, you know, part of like just this 3D video game that we're in. Uh, So to get all caught up in the details of the game or the, or the dream uh, seems a little bit um, like a waste of a, a time a little bit. I'd rather uh, try to uh, connect more with that source of uh, the creation, the creator of the game, God, whatever you want to call it, uh, and, uh, and feel those sort of things than to worry about the details. But yeah, if, if you said, uh, Jeff, I have 100% proof because I haven't really seen proof either way that it's a globe mm-hmm. or it's flat. Uh, if you if you could show me, like, you know, if you could take me up in a, in a spaceship, which they never go up in, by the way, like, a, uh, who was the latest one? I think it was uh, wasn't it Richard Branson said he was going to go into outer space. And then it was Jeff Bezos. They always go up like 100,000 feet and then they say they went to outer space or something. Uh, but if if, you, if I could go up high enough and I could actually see it's a globe, I'd go, okay, it's a globe. Um, but uh, but if it was flat, and it always looks flat when I, whenever you see the big uh, balloons that some people put up, mm-hmm. uh, if they don't use their, their fisheye camera from GoPro, um, it, it always looks flat. And if it's flat, I'd go, yeah, my, my, my instincts kind of lead me to it is flat. I don't see how we could be flying through space uh, at 666,000 miles per hour or something. It's always 666. Mm-hmm. The, it, there's uh, tilted at like 23 degrees, which is like a, a symbol of skull and bones or something. Like, you know, all this kind of stuff. You be, like it doesn't, if all this stuff's moving so much, you, you'd think the stars over at least a few thousand years would move a little bit. Yeah. You'd think if we're spinning at like, what, what do they say? A thousand miles an hour um, that, you know, planes might have a little bit of trouble landing sometimes. Like it's moving so fast, but uh, I'm open to anything, but at the end, I don't even bother going too deep into it because I'm like, well, it's all just a dream. It's all a video game anyway. Um, so I'm just trying to enjoy the game and uh, 
uh, you know, uh, be as connected in the game uh, to the source as possible. And, uh, and everything else is just fun and interesting and exciting to discover. And um, yeah, I would not be surprised at all if, if none of this stuff is what they say it is. Um, I've certainly haven't seen any proof that it is, uh, you know, they got their Mars <laughs> Rover that's up there. For like Some of the stuff. Yeah. It's hard to get yeah, tell. It's just like you can't, live, you can't you know. have your cell phone work for like 20 years. It's up there for like 20 years. It's supposed to be minus 400 at night, minus, plus 400 in the day. And they're like, oh, it works fine. And then it looks exactly like an island in Canada, northern Canada. Uh, like So like I just don't believe anything at all anymore. And for good reason. Uh, if you look into almost anything, it's almost always lies. And uh, the reason for those lies, that's the real question. And who's doing those things is uh, a good question. And why? Uh, and to me, at this point, I'm just like, I think this is all just part of the video game. It's just fun. You got the good guys, you got the bad guys, the bad guys are like trying to like fool you with everything. You got to like figure out what's real, what's not. Um, and whatever it is, is what it is. I, I'm just accept whatever it is. Well, speaking of the video game, Jeff, I appreciate your answer. And you always say like, this is the best video game ever. And I'm going to have to say I respectfully disagree with you. I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm, I give it like a five out of 10. Because um, we're, I think this game needs more power-ups. I mean, in Pac-Man, the ghosts are always chasing after Pac-Man. Eventually, he eats a pellet. Eventually, the ghosts are on the run. And I don't necessarily see the evil forces necessarily like scared at any point in time. And then I think about it this way. It's like... Okay, thank goodness you woke up. Thank goodness Ron Paul woke up. And thank goodness other members of the freedom movement decided to take action. And who knows how much farther along we'd be if other people decided to work on themselves. And, you know, maybe we'd have a leg up on here. So I'd say that this video game, I'm not, I I wish it could be better because I think it's, there's a lack of power ups. And uh, as far as their graphics go, well, I would like to see some dinosaurs running around and alien invasion. I'd like to change it up because I feel like they they keep on rehashing the same storyline. Like the way EA does the NHL games, they, they copy and paste it. It's the same thing. It's problem, reaction, solution. I'm like, oh, here's another crisis, and they're all very similar. I want to see something different. Am I or am I just being cranky? I, I don't know. You see something. You say it's the best video game ever. Why do you think it, this is the best video game ever? Well, I haven't seen a better one. That's the that's okay. the main reason. And plus, <laughs> when you compare it to like. 3D video games of today, it's like a trillion to a trillion times better. Like you've got feelings, you've got smells, you've got emotions, you've got different dimensions. Um, uh, and as far as like more power ups, uh, yeah. I think the power ups are all there, but people just don't look for them. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of, the point you're making is like the world's got so many bad guys and it's so bad. But like my world right now is perfect. Like it's absolutely perfect. I mean, Kill Gates lives in this world. Proudsy Soros is still alive. His son's coming online. Mm-hmm. I'm still fine. Um, so I, I don't really like look at it all that uh, negatively. I think if 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 all those things weren't happening, I think we'd probably be pretty bored. We probably wouldn't want to play. Good point. Good point. Mr. Jeff Berwick, I want to thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing wisdom and for sharing insight. I've been listening to you for a long time. It's an honor to have had the opportunity. Speak to you to answer your questions. We'll post links to all of your uh, websites that are down there and the Dollar Vigilante channel, which is fantastic. And I, I also want to say again, I appreciate not only all the work that you do, but all the people that you've brought to the attention of the world, like Shuna Murte, who's come on our show. Wonderful. Um, James Fry, uh, you know, you've had so many interesting teachers that you bring to light, that you provide a platform. So I just want to say thank you for all that you do and for the attentions that you're putting out for humanity. We definitely appreciate it. 
Oh, thank you. And thanks for doing video for this one episode for me. And we're going to post this on our channel. So for people, if you don't know, it's Ryan McCormick of Outer Limits of Inner Truth. And I think we've got you up. I don't know if you even know this, yep. but I think you do. That we're on, You're on Vigilante.tv now. Uh, yes. So when, Thank you. You, know, you basically got passed along to me, uh, like Doug Casey sent me an email. And whenever Doug Casey sends me an email, I... Mm-hmm. You know, whatever, whoever he's introducing me to, I talk to, he's always sending me good people. So I I rarely contact, uh, respond to most people, but since you got sent through Doug, uh, so we've, I figured you must be pretty good. I looked at some of the stuff you're doing. It looks great. And so we added you to vigilante.tv. So, uh, we're kind of working together now. Awesome. Jeff. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest, and special thanks as always to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, and our social producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace. Love and beers. Take care and thank you so much for listening.